Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast.
And you know those movies that show the ending first, and then they like go back in reverse when they start with the story? That's kind of what we're going to do this morning. So Missy read, read the end of Philippians, uh, close to the end of Philippians. What we're going to do is we're going to reverse it all and go back to the, to the start. So I'm going to do something that we've never done here at Trinity Life, something a little ambitious in the time that we have. We're going to go through the entire book. Um, yeah. 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 Um, uh, when this letter was written, when the letters were written to the church, what they would do is they would get it, and they would just stand up and they'd read the letter. So that's what we're going to do this morning. It's four chapters. We're going to read the letter. Uh, it's all on the screen. And, uh, or you can use your Bible, your phone, whatever. And I'm going to read it, stuff. And what I want you to see is, what I want you to see is what Paul is doing in here to get to chapter 4. He's doing something really unique here. And, and this morning, like I said, we're talking about restoration of relationships. And here's the bottom line, guys. You can never restore a relationship with somebody else if your relationship isn't restored with Jesus Christ. You're not, like, if you're trying to do this on your own power, it, it's never going to happen. Right? It's only in Jesus that true restoration of relationships can happen. So we're going to see that throughout this entire passage. Let's jump in. Uh, this is chapter 1, verse 1. The book of Philippians says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. So immediately, think restoration of relationships, right? That passage we just read, uh, Philippians chapter 4, uh, there's two women here, Euodia and Syntyche, who Paul directly addresses, right? We know the ending. We know he's getting there, right? So we know the, the ending of the movie, of the, of the story. We know where he's going. And, and guys, conflict, uh, um, discord, strife, these things ruin the church. They're, they're, they're ruining what the Philippian church is supposed to be there for. And we know Paul's going to get there. But where does he start? He says, hey guys, we're servants. And that, that word, if it was translated a little more, more harshly, would, would be, we're slaves. We're slaves to Christ Jesus. Notice how many times Christ Jesus is mentioned in this short little book, okay? Because like I said, you can try to restore relationships outside of Christ, but you're never going to fully do it. It's only in Christ that you can truly reconcile with people, right? So, um, he says, we're servants of Christ, to all the saints in Christ. He's reminding them of who they are. You guys are saints in Christ Jesus, not saints in your good works, not saints in not sinning. You are saints in Christ Jesus. Philippi with the overseers and the deacons, the leaders of the church, grace to you and peace. He starts with grace and peace, and we'll see at the end he's going to end with grace and peace. So grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. I thank God, or thank my God, in all my remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Okay, there's two big themes in the book of Philippians. One is joy. The other is unity. So as we go through this, notice how many times he says joy, rejoicing, there's some sort of celebration. Notice how many times he talks about unity, sameness, right? So we'll, we'll go through this and you'll see it pop up over and over again. But he starts, a big, he starts big here, right? He's, he's giving them a big picture of what's going on. Here's the thing with conflict, guys. We often get so caught up in the, 
in the conflict that our vision becomes so myopic, becomes so, we have tunnel vision, and, and we can't see outside of ourselves anymore because the conflict, the offense, the, uh, the lie, the deceit, whatever it was, is so, it feels like it's controlling our entire world and we let it happen. And Paul's trying to say, hey, like, let me bring you up here a little bit. So this morning, if you are experiencing a broken relationship, uh, Cecile mentioned a whole bunch of different relationships up there, from work to family, church, uh, neighbors, uh, friends. Uh, if you're experiencing some sort of brokenness and not wholeness in some sort of relationship, allow the Spirit of the Lord to bring you up to like a 30,000 foot level right now. That's what Paul is doing for us. I get out of your conflict, get out of the feelings and the emotions and the, the um, angst and the hurt and the pain, and let's, let's, let's go up here with the Spirit of God and where Paul is leading. So he says, first, gratitude. Right? How many of you in your situations are you, are you grateful? Like, are you recognizing the good things of God? For he starts with, he says, thank, I thank my God. So he points them to that. Verse 6, and I'm sure of this. Oh, sorry, verse 5. Uh, so making my prayer with joy, verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel, right? I'm not unity here. Partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6, and I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, he recognizes that God has worked in you. All right? God has worked in them. He will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart for you all partakers with me of grace. There's partnership again, partnership language. Both in my imprisonment, Paul's writing this from prison. Right? Like, he's, he, you have this situation happening in the church. Right? And, and who knows? It's this quarrel. These, these women are quarreling or something. We don't know what it is. And Paul says, hey guys, I'm talking about joy. I guess where I'm writing from. I'm writing from prison. And he's not writing from like uh, prisons in the West today, like, um, I mean, prison is prison. It's still bad. But in the West, you know, three square meals a day, you know, your, your workout facilities, all those things. He's writing from a hole in the ground, right? With no digital and, and rats and dripping water and it's, and it's rocky and, and it's, not, it's not pleasant. And he says, hey, I'm in prison. This way, no. And in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. He's establishing this law of love. Guys, if we could just, in our conflicts, if we could remember love, if we could remember love is the ethic that Jesus has given us because he first loved us, and it's only uh, because he first loved us that we can love him, then that would erase a lot of our conflicts if we could just if we could just learn how to love well. So you'll see that throughout here too. So question questions first time. And is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Not just love for love's sake, but he he pairs with knowledge and discernment. So that you may approve what is excellent so we turn blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ with glory and praise of God. He's going to continue with that. With that big picture view. So he says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It reminds them of why we do what we do. Right? You know, sometimes we get so caught up in conflict and we forget that we're supposed to be followers of Jesus. And instead, we're following our conflict, we're following our hurt, we're following our offense, we're following our pain, 
And he says, you guys are followers of Jesus. Remember that. What you, why you live your lives, the purpose you live your lives for is to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole impure regard. So Paul is in prison, and he's, and he's a witness to the entire imperial guard there in Rome. And so all of us, and my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of my brothers have become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment and are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So indeed, preach Christ. Or so, sorry, some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I love this next statement. This is one of Paul's, this one of Paul's favorite statements he uses. So he's just talking about affliction and these guys preaching out of selfish ambition. And he's like, so what? He's like, what then? Like, what? Right? That's his next statement. He says, hey, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And that I rejoice. So he's not there. Um, He's not there uh, uh, trying to discern everyone's intentions and their motives. He's like, hey, Jesus is being proclaimed. Yeah, I rejoice in that. Uh, next, next line. Yes, and I will rejoice. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So how do we rejoice? In the middle of strife, in the middle of suffering, in the middle of conflict, in the middle of brokenness, how do you rejoice? Well, he, he says, prayer. The Spirit of God. And he's going to tell us a little later. He gives a little taste of it there in verse 19. Then he goes into verse 20. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I would not be at all ashamed. He trusts in Jesus that much. That he won't be put to shame. That this eager expectation, this hope, won't be a false hope. But that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And here's, here's the, the verse that a lot of people quote from Philippians, but a lot of people I'm not sure if you fully understand um, in this context. And he says here in verse 21 For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. I'd love to just leave and be with Christ, you say. But that's far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and your joy in the faith. He's doing this for them. Like, he'd rather be with Christ. And he says, no, I, I know it's necessary that I'm with you here. So that in me, man, the apple cause the glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So he says, for me to live as Christ and die as gay. People always ask me, uh, and, and Misty, why do we go to the places we go to? We've been, we've been around the world. We've probably been to, um, I don't know, 40 plus countries in the past 10 years. And um, it was all, people always ask us, like, why, why would you go to Libya post-Gaddafi? Why would you be in a place like that where it's much control? Why would you go to, why would you guys work in, in 
become uh, Bethlehem? Why would you, uh, like we were in Turkey after the coup a couple years ago, like two days after, like why would you do that? Um, and uh, we really trust that uh, death isn't the end. You know, like for, for us, like that, that, that verse has become so true in the last, I don't know, definitely the last six years it's been in Toronto, maybe more than that, decade. Uh, because what Paul is saying there is, if he dies, he knows that is the entrance into the life he's longing for, to be with Jesus. He's, his EU expectation is for that life. Like, we, Jesus came and gave us the abundant life, but we're really just living a shadow of it here, right? And we can learn to live it more and more, we can walk with Jesus, but, but uh, how many of you guys walk with the Spirit every moment of every day of your life? It's hard, right? We, we don't do that. And those moments with walking the Spirit, we're living the abundant life, but so many of us are, are, are um, distracted by the ways of this world, and to live for us isn't Christ, to live for us is fill in the blank, is success, is money, is relationship, is sex, is, is um, family, is job, is, you know, put in your idol, is something like that. But for us to live isn't really Christ. And Paul says, hey, the only reason I'm here, because Christ is, the, the gateway is, is through my death, right? To see Jesus fully face to face. The only reason I'm here then is to live for Christ. Right? And, and what's very significant about this verse is death dies is the curse. You guys realize that? Like, go back to Genesis, and death is the curse. God says, hey, you can have any death, you can have any fruit in the garden, you can have any tree, except that one. Because when you eat of it, you will surely die. And they eat of it, they sin, they disobey God, they start blaming each other, which is really funny because um, we do that all the time in, in, uh, in conflicts. We try to shirk the blame on the other person and we don't take the full responsibility ourselves. This is like part of the original sin. God comes into the garden and, and he's like, hey, where are you guys? Where are you guys? And they're hiding, right? Because they're ashamed of their nakedness, so they're hiding. He's like, hey, where, where are you guys? And, and they're like, oh, we're, we're hiding. Um, and God's like, did you eat the fruit? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's like, who told you you're naked? And uh, this exchange, and Adam says, in response, he says, the woman, she did it. The woman you gave me, she did this. Um, and so Adam does two things in that moment. He blames the woman, and who else does he blame? God. He says, the woman you gave me. He shirks off the entire response, and then Eve comes and she says, the snake. And she points to the snake, and she shirks off responsibility. And in conflict, we always do that. If you want to see uh, your relationships restored, you have to take responsibility. You have to. You have to like, be willing to take the full brunt of things that aren't even your fault. Right? Why? Because that's what Jesus did. We're going to see this what he does. And Paul says here, to die is actually gain. Like, the curse has been reversed, guys. Like, to die isn't a curse anymore, it's actually entrance into the abundant life. Like, we're the, the fullness of it. And, and, this, and this curse of death, because Paul says, 
the wages of sin are death. So the Romans, right? So the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ the Lord. It's this reversal of what sin was supposed to do, what it was doing, and Jesus and his cross and his victory and his resurrection overcame and gave us something new. He even reversed the effects of death for us. And so as followers of Jesus, we should not be afraid to die. Right? Like, we should, you ask them, what about your kids? And I'm like, I don't even be thinking about them. I'll be with Jesus. And that sounds harsh, but we got it set up. Like, we got all the paperwork set up, They're, they'll be taken care of, like, then we'll be with Jesus. Right? And some of you guys are like, oh, that's, like, how, how can you say, well, I mean, to live this Christ and die is good. Right? Like, our kids are with us for a moment, and they're gone. Right? And, and we need to start living, if we want restoration relationships to really happen, we have to, our lives have to be centered around Christ. To live has to be Christ. So, he says, he, he, he's, he's painting that picture here for us, this kind of big picture of what our lives should be for. He says, only let your manner of life, this is verse 27, be worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ah, is your manner of life this morning worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Think about the gospel, pure, holy, unadulterated, Jesus laying his life down for us. Is your manner of life right now worthy of that? Or is your manner more, is your manner of life more worthy of sin? In the end, what are you sowing? What seed are you sowing? Discourse, strife, anger, brokenness, frustration, complaining, grumbling. Like, what are you sowing this morning? We can go down a list of sins too sexual morality, pornography, gossip, uh, slander. Um, hating somebody, bitterness, rage, anger, lust, I mean, we go on and on. Is that your manner of life? Is your manner of life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ? So that whether I come and see you in absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, unity, with one mind, unity, starting side by side, unity, for the faith of the gospel, not frightened of anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, not from God. Because we need unity, right? Like, look at our, look at, look at us today. Peter and our, uh, David and Missy were praying this morning, and Peter's like, we are, we are doing something in this space today that most people in our city do not want anything to do with, right? I mean, just, just walk outside today. Like, everyone is celebrating something else today, and not celebrating Jesus. And we're doing something that we have to be united around so that it's a clear sign to people of our salvation. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, the sake of Christ, right? Like we're not, uh, we're not being arrogant here. This isn't for our sake. This is for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. How many of you this morning are okay with believing in wanting all the good things that come with Jesus, but you're not okay with suffering for Jesus. He says here, we're not only called to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. If you're not suffering for Christ's sake, you're not a follower of Jesus. You can be a believer all you want. Even the demons believe and shudder. Believe all you want. But if you're not following Jesus and suffering for Jesus, then you're not living a life manner of life worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, carry your cross daily. 
Like it's a symbol of suffering, right? Um, it's it's a symbol of of, uh, of yeah suffering with Christ in His sufferings. So he says, so uh, he says we're to do that with Christ. Verse uh, verse one of chapter two. So and now he focuses in on us, and he, he got a big picture down. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, this is to you. Are you experiencing encouragement in Christ? If you are, keep on going. Do you have any comfort from Christ's love? Do you have any participation in the Spirit of Christ? Do you have any affection and sympathy? If you do, complete my joy by being of the same mind, unity, having the same love, unity, being in full accord, unity, and of one mind, unity. Those are all like four or five words for, for unity. And how do we stay unified as a church? How do you how do you make unity your primary goal in the church? How, how, do we, how do we make that so important? Boy, this is how, verse 3. We don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceits. And how do we do that? We humble ourselves. In humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. So he's not saying neglect your own interests. He just says... Don't just be consumed by that. I, you can look to your own interests, but make sure you're also looking to the interests of others. Don't do this out of selfish ambition. Do it out of humility. You know, in, in conflict, when we're in a broken relationship, we get so consumed with who did what and who said what and who needs to rectify the situation. But if you're a follower of Jesus today, that's all on you. I don't care what someone did to you. Like they, like you have the Spirit of God in you. And it's all on you to forgive. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. It's not control of others. You can't force somebody to forgive you. You can't force somebody to ask for forgiveness. You can't force somebody to apologize. And if you did, you wouldn't want that apology anyways, because you know you would have forced it. You can't control what they do and how they react. All you need to do is be faithful in doing what you're supposed to do as a follower of Jesus, and that is forgive. That's all you can do. And you can't control how they take it. And you have to be satisfied in that faithfulness, because you've honored Christ in that. And you have to just lay that out and do what you know you're supposed to do. And if they don't receive it, that's on them. You did everything. And now you're no longer caged by it. Because here's the thing, guys. We were singing earlier, spirit break out. And for some of us, that's like a mantra for the spirit to, to come down and to do something. But I think for a lot of us in the church, we should be singing that to our hearts. A spirit break out of here. Because I have built up these walls around you. I am quenching you in my heart. Like, I know you dwell in me, First Corinthians um, uh, chapter 2, uh, Ephesians chapter 1, Romans chapter 8, the Spirit of God is in us, He's with us. Uh, we can all go out back to Ezekiel and, and hear this and hear these things that this is the new covenant, the Spirit is with us. But you're not acting like that. Right? We're perpetuating these, these broken relationships because we've built these walls around us. And Paul is trying to show us something really beautiful that we actually have freedom and power to forgive and to. Let that be our example, not let bitterness reign. So, 
He says here, uh, the example of Christ, have this mind among yourself, which is yours. This is your mind in Christ Jesus. He writes the same thing in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. You have the mind of Christ. We've been given that, guys. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you have that. You have the mind of Christ. Stop operating in the mind of your flesh. Stop operating in the mind of your culture. Stop operating in the mind of you know, fill in the blank. Uh, you have the mind of Christ. And this is what Christ does. He was in the form of God, but he didn't count equality with God to be grasped. Oh, man. He's God. He doesn't count equality with God I think be grasped. And so many of us are trying to grasp equality with God. So many of us are trying to, to be God. We're trying to enact vengeance and justice and retribution. Right? We want them in a broken relationship. We want them in a conflict. We want them to know how they wronged us. Guess what, guys? It's not about you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you've died to yourself. It's never going to be about you again. It's all about Jesus. Where do you come off thinking you earn, you, you deserve respect, you deserve honor, you deserve anything? Like we die to Jesus. Our lives are hidden in Him. Colossians 3 says our life is Christ. Right? Like that's your reality. No one can do anything that offends you. Because every, they did everything they could to Jesus, and he still did this in verse 7. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Servant mentality. So many of us have a savior mentality. Not a servant mentality. Humble yourself. Being born in the likeness of men. And this is our God, and we say, hey guys, I, this is our God, and we want to be like him, and we want to be more like Jesus, and, and we worship him, and, and we follow him. But do we live our lives this way? Just look at your relationships that are broken. Do you, do you live your life that way, like humbling yourself? You guys, get there's so much hurt and pain that has been done to you, and there's trauma, and there's, like, we don't want to just, like, cast it aside. There has to be, there has to be, um, uh, we want some sort of justice, right? But whose justice are you looking for? You're looking for the justice of God or, or your own justice? Right? What, like, what, do you, what do you want in this situation? And in a lot of your situations, you have you as a follower of Jesus, and this person as not a follower of Jesus, and you are supposed to set the example, even if you've been the one hurt. And I know that's hard. And Peter comes to Jesus and he says, God, Jesus, how many times do I forgive somebody? Hey, he thinks he's being holy. He's a seven. Like, that's the number of perfection. And, and he thinks he's, he's doing it like a deputy doing a good job. He says, Jesus, but they're doing the same sin to me over and over again. How many times? And Jesus says, as long as it takes. Seventy times seven. Like, infinity. You keep on forgiving because that's what I do. That's what I've done. And he became obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every time confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. This is actually a hymn in the church. So, this, ver this verses 5 through 11 here are. are um, they were, a lot of people, a lot of scholars think this was a hymn in the church that they would sing. And Paul is quoting that here now. What's so amazing about song, about music, is you can trace the theology of song throughout the entire scriptures. 
You have things like the Song of Moses, the Song of Miriam, the Song of uh, Deborah, the Song of Mary, and all of them are very prophetically significant. So you're reading your Bible and you just skip over the Psalms. It's like a, this is that's you like you made the wrong decision. All of them are very prophetic, and God is speaking clearly through. I mean, the whole Bible is right, but. But if you missed those in the story, you missed a lot of things. So those songs are highly significant. Um, there's other, this is in the scriptures like where David is, is playing his lyre, um, and evil, the evil spirit leaves Saul. When the temple is, is built, there's musicians in the temple day and night singing and making music. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I mean, there's, there's a whole book of songs in the Bible. Like the biggest book in the Bible is the Psalms, right? Um, and then you have Song of Solomon, which is an entire book that's a song. Uh, songs are very significant. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you have uh, this, this battle going on. And who goes in front of the battle? It's not the infantry, it's not the people on horses, it's not the cannons, it's not the flag bearers, it's the musicians. The musicians are in front. Like, John, you're playing your guitar in front. You don't have a sword. You don't have... You don't have a bayonet, like you have nothing except your guitar. And, and so when we sing, you know, uh, uh, what's that song, I raise a hallelujah, my weapon, it's not a weapon, it's a melody. Yeah. Like, that's the scripture, right? Like, like we, we go forth with song, and, and, they, and uh, the king of that time, I think it was that, he sends the musicians out before the Lord. And that's actually what wins them the battle. The musicians do. That's crazy, right? Um, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, you have Paul saying, don't be filled with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And what does being filled with the Holy Spirit look like? Singing songs to each other. Like, that's the very next verse. Singing songs to each other. Making melody with your heart. Like, so here Paul has inserted a hymn, a song, and it's like spiritual warfare, right? He's, he's doing here. He's saying there's something not good in this church. Like, here, let's go forth with a song. Therefore, in verse 12, there's two therefores with this Greek word. There's a few other therefores translated as therefore in the scriptures. We just read one in verse 9. But in the Greek, there's two actual strong therefores. The other ones translated are different words in the Greek. This is the first one. This is the first big therefore, which means that everything following this Okay, we've just read. Now, therefore, because of all this, my beloved, my loved ones, is establishing love again. As you've always obeyed, so now not only as my presence, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As we have, I was talking to, uh, yeah, I was talking to um, my sister-in-law and brother-in-law last night about this. We have, um, we have, Turn Jesus into this like blonde hair, blue eyed, baby sheep, headache Renaissance man, right? And Jesus has fire in his eyes. And he's not, he's not a gentle, like, now he's the gentleness of the spirit, right? But he's not this, like, guy who's petting his sheep and, like, swinging with his lamb. Like, Jesus in the Gospels, if you, if you think you know Jesus and you think he's, like, all loving and kind and those things, but he's not harsh. I, you miss Jesus. I, Jesus is extreme. I, guys, think about this. Think about his disciples. Jesus is so extreme, a zealot, the extremist of the day, follows Jesus. Okay? Um, uh, 
Peter, a guy like Peter is following Jesus, who's like always in your face. Um, the sons of thunder are following Jesus. They're, his, they're among his disciples, right? Like, Jesus isn't some, like, uh, I don't know how to describe like some weak, limp guy, right? Like, he is a strong, he has a strong presence. You have a tax collector who cheated, who cheats and lies for a living, following Jesus, right? Like, at the end, they exchanged a murderer and a, and a zealot and a riot leader for Jesus and Barabbas, right? Like, Jesus, Jesus is a very strong individual, and he's, he's pretty black and white, guys. He's pretty black and white. You're either following me or you're not. You're either worthy of me or you're not. Go somewhere while they have you before, or walk away. You know what he says to that guy? Five. Like, that guy just turns and walks away. We don't see Jesus chasing after him. We don't see Jesus saying, hey, come back, I was just kidding. Like, the guy just walks away sad, and that's the last we see of him. And we don't know what else happened. And, and here, uh, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. If we knew Jesus, really, we would be working it out with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Man, if we could do that in the church, guys, all I get week to week is grumbling and disputing. If we could stop grumbling and disputing, just humble ourselves and know that we're in this together, we'd get so much more done. But we love to complain. We love to say this is going wrong. We love to say that I wish the church was doing this better. We love to say I'm frustrated with this. We love to say, but we don't actually love to do things together. But if we just put aside those and actually work together and be unified as possible now, we can so, accomplish so much. And he says in verse 15, Stop doing those things that may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. We're supposed to be different from the, from the crooked and twisted generation. Yes. We're supposed to be different. And we are just as twisted and crooked in the same things. He says, Instead, we're supposed to shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life. What are you holding fast to this morning? So we can start holding fast to our conflict, to our offense, to our lies, to, uh, to the deceit, to the hurt, to the pain. It says, hold fast to the word of life. So in the day of Christ, I may be proud to not run in vain or labor in vain. Even if I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I'm glad, and I rejoice. Here's rejoice again. I rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. So now he's focusing on two guys in the church, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. He has two examples here of people who sacrifice for the Lord. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, but you know to whom he's proven worth, how as a son of the Father he served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will come also. I find it necessary to send you to Aphrodite, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, so you see unity there, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he's been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed he was, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon someone. I am more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice, rejoice again, at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. 
to receive in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. So he's like, he's showing them, trying to get them out of their conflict, right? Because Epaphroditus, he actually almost died, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. There's like a moment of conviction. So he's like, this guy almost died because you guys were too busy quarreling amongst, amongst yourselves. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. I think it's funny that he says that. Finally, let me tell you something I've already told you like a hundred times. Rejoice in the Lord. And he even notes it. He's like, oh, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me in the state. He, he knows he's been repeating himself over and over and rejoicing. He says, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. We're the ones who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. He says, if anyone has confidence in the flesh, I myself have reason for this. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, people of the people of Israel, the child of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness and the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He counts all that as loss. Even more than that, he says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The, the, the reason Paul can count those things as loss is because he sees the surpassing beauty and greatness of Jesus. So many of us don't see that anymore. We're focused on the beauty or the ugliness of something else, and, it's, and it overshadows the beauty and the glory of Christ. And that's why the Bible says to focus our eyes on Jesus so much, to, to um, lift our heads towards Him where our help comes from, to set our hearts and our minds on Christ Jesus, to, um, and that's why like, so much of us as, as ministering to people is pointing people to Jesus, because so much of this world is ugly, so much of our lives are ugly. And but Jesus is beautiful, he's grand, and he's majestic. And Paul knows that here, and he says, For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things. And I count them as rubbish. That word is very strong in the Greek. That word rubbish is like dog. It's, 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 it just means like, like if you were, like, think about this. What you're holding fast to, if you had your hand open and I put a turret in your hand, what would you do with it? You would toss it aside immediately. You would you would toss the sun. Paul's saying, that's what I did with everything else in this life. I considered it dumb. You put it in my hand, it's not Jesus, it goes to the side. It doesn't have anything to do with Jesus, it goes to the side. I can't use it for the sake of Jesus, it goes to the side. Like, how much rubbish are you holding in your life? How much dumb do you have in your hand that you just can't throw to the side? Right? And then Paul says, I've done that for the sake of Christ. In order that they gain Christ, verse 9, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, that, <clears throat> that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God depends on faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings. That's so key. Like he wants to share in Christ's sufferings. Becoming like him in his death. We want to become like Jesus in his death. Perfect time. Um, we want to become like Jesus in his death. He wants to share in Christ's sufferings. How many of us are saying, yes, I want to share in your sufferings, Christ? We have this thing where we say, 
oh, I will count suffering as joy, but I'm not going to chase after suffering. I don't know. Paul's saying here, like, I'm doing all this. That may share in the power of his resurrection and his sufferings. So that may become like him in his death. It sounds like he's, he's welcoming it to me. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. Not that I've already done this, or I'm already made perfect, but I press on and make it my own. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straight forward of what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. I let those of us who are mature think this way. Let those of us who are mature think this way. He says, if you're not, if you think otherwise, meaning if you're not mature, God will reveal that to you also. The best thing for us who think we're mature is to realize that we're not mature. Right? And those of, those of you who think you are mature, you're actually not mature. He says, only let us hold true to what we've attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, their glory, they glory in their shame. With minds and unearthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who would transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And here's a second therefore, a second big therefore. He says, Therefore, because of all this, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, you guys are my joy, you're my crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then here comes the hammer. Like it's really out of place. Right? It seems really out of place. And unless you know the ending, and then you go to the beginning. And he says, now, you, Yodia, you, Syntyche, please agree in the Lord. I entreat you, I plead with you, I beg with you, just, just agree, you're destroying the church. Yes, and I ask you also to help these women. You guys come alongside these leaders, Yodians and Simtika, they were leaders in the church, and their, their, their quarrel was destroying things. He says, come alongside them, the community, come, come with them. Because so, these women have labored side by side with me. Both of them have, in the gospel together with Clement, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. And he says something, he sorry, he said again. And this, this context here, we have to take this passage ripping and screaming out of its context, and now we know that it's in the context of restoring relationships, this whole book is. And so these verses now, put that in the context of here. Rejoice in the Lord always. In your broken relationships, guys, Paul is saying, first step, rejoice. Not in your circumstances, which will always change, but in the Lord. First step, rejoice. Again, he says, in case you just forgot, Rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Man, in conflict, how unreasonable are we in conflict, right? We can't necessarily see in the moment, everyone thinks they're reasonable in the moment. When you step back, you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have said that, I shouldn't have done that, now it's too late, I did too much damage. But he says, start with reasonableness, let it be known to everyone. Because guess what, guys? The Lord is at hand. That doesn't mean the Lord, that, that's not a scary thing. That's like, hey guys, Jesus is close. He's with you. Would you still argue like this? Would you still have this brokenness that Jesus was right there with you, if you recognized his presence with you all the time? Would you, would you still act like that? He says, the Lord is at hand. So because of that, 
You don't need to be anxious about anything. But in everything, prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, so a few things. Prayer. How many times in conflict do you go to prayer? You say, hey, we, I, I know we're arguing right now. I know this shouldn't have happened. I know, I don't know this thing broke. Can we go to the Lord in prayer? Can we just stop and, and go to Jesus right now? And that's just a practical step. It says, prayer, supplication. Can we thank God for what's in our relationship? Can we do that? Thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. And here's the peace of God. The peace in relationships. Right? This is in the context of relationships. A lot of times we pray this passage, we're like, ah, peace of God, transcend all understand. No, this is in the context of broken relationships, guys. Like, so the peace of God, and not that it can apply to other things too, but um, broken relationships, you will experience peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Because in our flesh, whatever someone did to you, whatever you've done to someone else, they shouldn't forgive you. Without Jesus, there should be no reconciliation. There should be no love. There should be no forgiveness. There should be no goodness. And, but the peace of God, it surpasses all of our uh, finite understanding. Right? And He will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus from what? From bitterness, anger, malice, strife, slander, rage. You name all the seeds of the enemy. Because He says, finally, this is what you're to do. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. It's, it's transforming your mind. Remember, he's saying, have this mind, in the chapter 2, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is how you transform your mind and, and, and have the mind of Christ. But what, what do we do normally? Instead of what's true, we dwell on lies. Instead of what is honorable, we dwell on what was dishonorable, what was done to us. Instead of what's just, we dwell on what was unjust. Instead of what's pure, it's impure, and, and on and on. He says, no, no, no. Dwell on the things of the Spirit. Don't dwell on the negative things. What you've learned and seen and heard in me, and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. And Paul ends the book with with going back to the big picture and centering us back on Jesus. In the last few verses, he ends with grace and peace, how he started the book. And he mentions God, Jesus, Christ, over and over and over and over and over again. Because without Jesus, there's never going to be true restoration in your relationships. And so as you, for those of you who are followers of Jesus, consider that. Consider how, consider what you're sowing in the what seeds you're sowing? Are you sowing discord and anger and strife? Are you, are you sowing uh, complaining and grumbling and frustration? Like, those things aren't the Spirit of God. Those things aren't of Jesus Christ. Those things are of the enemy. If you're not operating in the Spirit of God, you're operating in the Spirit of the enemy. Do what Jesus did. That's humble ourselves, servant mentality. Jesus didn't have a Savior mentality even though he was and is. And he says equality with God is not a thing for Christ. He humbled himself to the point of death uh, on a cross, naked. Uh, and he redeemed death for us so that death is actually gained now. So if you're not a follower of Jesus in here today, that's the gospel. That's, that's the beauty of Christ. And, and guys, like Jesus is so much more beautiful and so much more grand and so much more majestic than your, than your conflict and even the pain and the hurt and the suffering. 
and it can be redeemed in Christ Jesus. So as we as we come together in song, we're going to have our prayer team up here after communion, and and if you need a blessing, if you need restoration, if you if if you need anything like that, and it's with someone in this room, go do it. I, you should do that before communion, uh, because approaching this table, if you if you come before this table without historic relationships, you're preaching judgment on you. Bring sorry, you're bringing judgment onto yourself. Paul says in First Corinthians. So reconcile in this room, have unity and joy in the body of Christ. If that is the case here in this room, if that if that person isn't in here. I do some sort of action step, not with yourself, okay? I with with someone on the prayer team, and take this time to to really see the Lord's healing and restoration in these relationships. So um, take some time to pray, and when you're ready, um, communion uh, communion deacon can come up. And when you're ready, you can take communion, and we'll go into song. I'll pray for us. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that. Yeah, I, I just love, I love this book here. I love every word in this book. I love that it gives us life. I love that it cuts to our hearts. I love that it corrects us. I love that it trains us in righteousness. I love that it um, teaches us. I love that it rebukes us and convicts us. And I love that it lifts us up and transforms us and shows us how to fall. Show us your beauty today, Jesus. We fix our eyes on you. Respond by the power of Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.